Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Can you guys do me a favor? Somebody, like, just before I, I, I walked up here, somebody gave me this riddle, and now they're gone. And I hope that someone knows the answer. Okay, I'm ADD, so I, I need the answer to this riddle, if you know it, okay? What do you call a bear with no teeth? Does any, oh, they, does any, what is it? A gummy bear. Yeah. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's pretty good. Good job. On Valentine's Day of 1990, the Voyager spacecraft was approaching Pluto, some five billion kilometers away from Earth. And as it was preparing to enter interstellar space, it actually turned around and took a picture of us. That's it. That picture became known as the pale blue dot. Became so famous, actually, that in 2013, the spacecraft Cassini remade the pale blue dot, this time from Saturn, only 1.5 billion kilometers from Earth, and this time with an HD camera. Pale blue dot. At the time that the first picture was taken, the astronomer Carl Sagan said this, that's here, that's home, that's us. On it, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever lived, lived out their lives on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. And I've heard people say before that when you listen to that quote or you look at that picture, man, that's got to make you feel small. What I want to suggest to you, whether you're watching Southside Church online right now or whether you're here, I want to suggest that as we conclude this journey that we've been taking through the New Testament book of 1 Timothy, I want to suggest to you that should make us feel small in the least. See, remember, we've been talking about the fact that God has a plan for you, that God has a plan for me, that God has a plan for us, and that plan plays out in three parts. The first part is this, that God wants you to know him. Do you want to put the second pale blue dot up again? The God who made that made you. The God who designed the galaxies thought you up. Not only that, but you matter to him. He knows you. He loves you. Not some future version of you when you get your act together one day and not some past version of you before you did that thing. Right now, he loves you. He's for you. And just as he knows you, he wants to be known by you. Because when you know God, you begin to know Forgiveness and grace and mercy and hope, peace, purpose, and power. See, when I think about the fact that the God who made all of that loves me, is for me, wants to be known by me, that doesn't make me feel small at all. It makes me feel kind of large. The second way that God's plan is to play out in our lives is he wants us to find freedom. He wants us to find freedom. To explain that simply, here it is, that somewhere along the line, there are things that are going to trip us up, that are going to constrain us from living that life of peace and purpose of power that God intended for us. And God wants us to clear all those things out of the way. 
And what's amazing about that is that God designed it so that we need each other in order to find freedom. That we need to be a part of God's family, the church. That we need to know and be known, to understand and to be understood, to pray for others and have other, others pray for us if we really want to find freedom. I want you to think about that, that God loves you so much, wants to be known by you, and wants you to find freedom so much that he placed you here. That's part of his plan. See, that doesn't make me feel small. That makes me feel pretty large, actually. So God's three-part plan for us is that we would know him, we would find freedom, and then finally, that we would change the world. Like, God wants everyone to know him. God wants everyone to find freedom. And part of his plan for people that he has placed in your proximity is that you would represent God, you know? And the way you live and the way you talk and the way you act, that just in a little way, just in a little way, that you would lead people towards knowing him and finding freedom themselves. In another place in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, Paul described it this way. He said, your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. Live openly and expansively. And it's so amazing to me that as we conclude this study on 1 Timothy, that Paul, it's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a pastor named Timothy in 64 AD. And as he ends the letter, it's like he summarizes the whole thing with one basic point. Live large. Don't settle for small. Live large. Let's jump in. He says this. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Jesus gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate. The Roman governor of Judea, just before Jesus was crucified, he was brought before Pontius Pilate. And the testimony that Jesus gave was really simple. He said, Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. See, somewhere along the line for you and me, whether we've been following Jesus for one day or for 25 years, we come to the point where we look around and we realize that spiritually speaking, I ain't from here. That much in the same way that Jesus expressed, my kingdom is not of this world. This is not my home. And, and here's how I know it. I know it because deep down inside, I've come to this realization that the things of this world don't finally fully satisfy me. And the older that I get, the more that I follow Jesus, I come to this conclusion also that God is my source that God's my sufficiency, and God is my more than enough. I heard somebody say something absolutely brilliant the other day. They said, you know what? You can never really experience depression until your dreams come true. You can never really experience depression until your dreams come true. Here's what he's saying, I think. We pin these hopes that we have. Man, if I could just get that, if I could just get there, if I could just make this happen, we get there, and, and, and somehow it doesn't reach us at the deepest level of us, and that's hard. 
But when we come to this conclusion, actually, you know what? God, you're my source. You're my sufficiency. You're my more than enough. Then we don't walk into the world with this posture. I need, I need, I need. But instead, we step into the world, living large, saying this, how can I help? A few weeks ago, we said it this way. I don't need to look around and ask what this world can do for me. I was placed on this planet to ask what I can bring to the world. Paul goes on. He says, For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die, and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All all honor and power to him forever. Amen. All honor. All honor. That's really, really interesting to me because the Bible says that I'm supposed to honor my mom and dad. Does it not? Youth up front says, yes, amen, absolutely. <laughs> the Bible says that I'm supposed to honor those in spiritual authority over me. In fact, the Bible says that we're supposed to honor one another out of reverence for Christ. But, but yet here Paul's saying, all honor to God. See, I think we should talk about the difference of lowercase h, honor, and uppercase h, honor. Lowercase h, honor, is the honor that we give to other people. Respect. Kindness. Patience and humility to listen to what they have to say and possibly apply it to my life if it fits. That's lowercase h, honor. Paul's saying here, that's great, by the way. That's great. But when it comes to uppercase H honor, all honor goes to God. You never lose sight of the fact that your source is God, your sufficiency of God, your, your sufficiency is God, and your more than enough is God. Now I mention that because we live in a kind of celebrity culture where it's easy for us to get tempted without maybe even realizing it, putting our capital H honor on people. The only problem with that is that people aren't God, and people will, people do have a tendency to let you down. Sometimes someone will reach out to the church and say, I need counseling. Don't we all, honestly? I need counseling. From Pastor Mike. And they say, well, Pastor Mike's not doing any counseling right now, but uh, we would be happy to recommend a good counselor for you. And they say, no, 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 no. I need counseling from Pastor Mike. Or they reach out to the church and they say, I want prayer. I want Pastor Mike to pray for me. And the church, someone at the church responds back and says, yes, we will definitely pass that on. And we're going to put your prayer request out on the prayer chain so we get a lot of people praying for you. And they say, I don't care about that. Just make sure Pastor Mike prays for me. Or someone will reach out to the church and they'll say, hey, I just want to hang out with Pastor Mike. And someone at the church will say, well, it's a pretty busy season, you know, the whole Christmas thing, so Mike's not really available right now, but why don't we get you hooked up in a small group where you can really hang out with some amazing people? And they're like, no, 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 no. I need to hang out with Pastor Mike. So let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about counseling by Pastor Mike. I'm okay at counseling, but I do struggle a little bit. And, and, and the reason that I struggle in counseling is every once in a while you'll say something to me and it will make me revert back to Coach Mike days. 
Oh, you were a jerk to your wife again. And I'll grab a whistle out of my desk, I'll blow it in your face as loud as I can, and say, you know what? You run wind sprints until you puke, and then you tell me that you're gonna be a jerk to your wife again. <laughs> what? You know what? You know, get down and do 50 plyo push-ups, and then we'll talk. So what'll happen often when I'm counseling is you'll say something, and I'll be like, oh, where's the whistle? But then I know I can't, that's mean, and I can't really do that, and you're gonna get sad or mad, and I don't wanna be that guy, so I don't say anything. I'll just sit there and look at you. And you look at me, and I'm looking at you, and you're looking at me, and all I'm thinking, by the way, if that ever happens is, where's my stinking whistle? Okay, so that's counseling. Or you say, well, I want Pastor Mike to pray for me. Now, if I tell you that I'm going to pray for you, I absolutely will, and I believe in the power of prayer, absolutely. But can we be really clear? Let me tell you something that you already know. The power of prayer isn't about the person praying, it's about the one we pray to, correct? Say you want to hang out with Pastor Mike, <laughs> because Pastor Mike's like the coolest guy around, or you want to hang out with him. Well, you're right, okay, I am, but, but I'm only <laughs> one person, Okay? Here's what I'm saying. There's always this tendency in us to elevate people. I'm all for lowercase h honor. I am. I want to respect you. I want to be kind. I want to be humble. I want to listen. But you got to be really, really careful to start placing uppercase h honor on people because people were never meant to be your sufficiency. They were never meant to be your source. They were never meant to be your more than enough. And what does that mean? What it means is if you place the honor where it's due, if you place honor in God, what'll happen is when that athlete you love so much turns out to be a jerk, you're gonna be okay. When that actor that you really admire goes off the rails, you're gonna be okay. Or how about this, when you turn on the news and you find out another church leader is leading a double life you're actually gonna be okay. When you place the capital H, the uppercase H, honor where it should be, you're gonna be okay. So let's, let's get a little bit more personal now. You're single, and you really wanna meet somebody, but you're not meeting somebody right now. And you were kinda of raised in a culture that told you you're never really complete until you find that certain someone. And it's hard. Because you want to, and you're not, and now you're, about a, uh, you're, you're at a place where you're about to start to compromise, but what if you remember, no, 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 all uppercase H honor is with God. He's my source, he's my more than enough, he's my sufficiency, you're gonna be okay. Or you are married, and your spouse really lets you down. Like, I mean, like, really, really, really lets you down. That's brutal, and it's tragic. And yet, if we can hang on to this concept that uppercase H, honor goes to God, we're actually gonna be okay. Oh, you're a parent. And one of your kids is just goes sideways. And it's heartbreaking, and it's so, so difficult. But if you actually live with this foundation that says all capital H, honor goes to God, he's actually still my source, he's actually still my sufficiency, he's actually still my more than enough, you're going to be okay. You want to live large, you can't enter the world with, with this posture, I need, I need, I need. You enter this world with this posture of sufficiency from God that says, hey, actually, I'm here to help. Paul goes on 
Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So my first year ever coaching basketball, I started about a month after the season ended for the team that I was going to be coaching, which was actually perfect timing because it gave us eight months to get ready for the next season. And as I started working with that team, I could tell right away that there was some work to be done. And when we started practicing, I was sure we had quite a bit of work to do. And I really wanted to kind of know what this was going to look like, so I tried really hard to find us a game. And I looked and I looked and I looked, and after about a month, I found an off-season tournament in Seattle. So early one Saturday morning, we got in the van, we drove down from Chilliwack to Seattle early in the morning, and we played our first game in the morning, and we lost. And what I mean when I say we lost, we lost 106 to 4. The final score was 106 to 4. 106 to 4. It was demoralizing. I mean, I, most of the team in tears, buddy, in the game, they were crying. I was almost crying. Okay, and, and I, I think one of the finest coaching jobs I've ever done, by the way, is to like regather the team and convince them that we actually were going to play our next two games that day. And so we did, and we lost badly, not 106 to 4 badly, but we lost. And I remember we drove back up from Seattle to Chilliwack. We got in the parking lot, and just before they got out of the van, I said, hey guys, can I talk to you for just one second? I got an idea. Tell me what you think of it. What do you say we get good? And they were like, what? I'm, I'm, I'm like, I got this plan. Might be kind of crazy. But I was thinking, what do you say we get good? Because I'm watching you, and we have tons of raw ability. We just need to put some work in, and we could get good. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 106 to 4, didn't like that at all. Like, I like the idea of getting good. So we came up with a plan, and the plan was that we were going to practice for the next seven months, five days a week, even through summer. And we were going to get ready for that next season. And what I learned watching them was that we kind of needed work in three areas. Stamina, skill, quickness. Stamina, skill, quickness. So stamina, that's just like cardiovascular endurance, right? Practicing basketball regularly at a fast pace builds up your stamina. So that kind of looked after itself, but we had a little test that we did, and I would invite you to try this on your own. If you want to do something just kind of fun this afternoon, you can do it. Okay, I'll give it to you. It's called 17s, okay? So what 17s is, is like you start on one, have you ever done it? Just know that has its origin with me. I designed that, so you're welcome. Okay, so, uh, so, so, so basically you start on one basketball sideline, and you, in one minute, you just have to touch 17 sidelines, okay? Now, if you don't have a court, but you want to try this, it's about 50 feet. The first one doesn't count, right? You got to run, and one is when you get to the first one. So, so what we would do is we would do the test every once in a while. And, and if we didn't make it in a minute, the whole team had to make it in a minute. And if we didn't, we would just raise the clock to 105, and we would all do it again right away. And then 110, and then 115, and sometimes, it would be a long time running 17s. And the thing about basketball is you also got to work on your skill, right? Lots of skills, shooting, passing, dribbling, defense, blocking out, rebounding, all of that stuff. And so we did, we worked on a lot of skill stuff, but I tried to keep it sort of fun and lighthearted. I tried to have some contests. 
And I remember one of the contests I had that I thought was such a great idea, but it backfired, okay? So September, we're back in school, and one day of practice, I bring the whole team tracksuits, brand new tracksuits, brand new tracksuits. They were so stoked. I was stoked to hand them out. So I came up with this idea, just spur of the moment. I said, hey, I'm going to give you this tracksuit just as soon as you hit 10 free throws in a row, which I thought was really safe. And it seems funny to me now because when I look back at the teams that I've coached, like the last several years that I coached, I, I could give an entire team 15 minutes and everybody would hit 10 in a row. Not that team. Not 15 minutes, not 15 hours, not 15 days, not 15 weeks. Some of them just could not do it. And for quickness, we just did plyometrics, box jumps and bounding and jump rope and tuck jumps, and they had their own plyometric program that, we, that they would do three days a week outside of practice. Over the weeks and the months, this is what I noticed. They started getting really good. Way, way, way better. But one more thing happened. All the old guys on the team, one by one, started coming to me and saying, Coach, no hard feelings. <laughs> I just, I'm quitting. I do not want to run another 17 as long as I live. I do not want to shoot another free throw for a stupid tracksuit as long as I live. I do not want to do another box jumps. Box jump, I'm done. I'm done. And that was fine, except I felt so sorry for them. Because what I knew was that they were getting way better. And the team was getting way better. And what hurt me about it is that they didn't trust me and they didn't trust the process. Because I knew what was going to happen, and it did happen. So now all the old guys have quit. We got this young team playing great 12s, grade 9s and 10s playing against grade 12s, and they were good, like really good. Over the next couple of years, they ended up winning a provincial championship. Now, I mention all that for two reasons. Number one, I would love it if you go home and run a 17 today. I just want to know what you do. I, I do. And just shoot 10 free throws in a row. Seems easy. It's kind of challenging. Secondly, though, I wonder if we're like that with God a little bit. Like, I wonder if we're a little bit like those old guys that were just like, I'm done. Because the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul here to give us the ingredients for living large. He calls it true life. Right? Be, be rich in good works. Be generous with those in need and share with others. Be rich in good works. Be generous with those in need and share with others. Be rich in good works. That can be financial, but it's also just emotional, like physically, just helping people, you know? And what's crazy about that is I think we all know it. Like, we've all experienced the joy. We've all, all, all experienced the kind of expansiveness of living a life where we are pouring out on behalf of other people. It's beautiful, right? We get it. I've been doing a test a little bit over the last five weeks. I'll walk up to somebody and I'll say, hey, did you help out at the Wonder drive-thru last year? And a lot of people did, so a lot of people say yes. I'm like, do you remember it? Like, do, do you really remember it? They're like, yeah, yeah. I remember the sleet and the snow and the ice and the fun and all of it. I, uh, wow, yeah, I remember it. I'm like, what did you get for Christmas last year? They're like, uh... So how come they can remember help? Oh, and the Wonder what was the Wonder drive-thru? It was just a little light show, honestly. It was just like us trying to bring just a little bit of joy and just a, a little bit of light to a city that really needed it at the end of 2020. 
So why do they remember that and not remember what they got for Christmas? Because they were designed to be rich in good works. That's why. You and I were designed to live large outside of ourselves. So before I came up here, I said to Tamara, hey, do you want me to mention that we need help at the Warner drive-thru just to make sure it goes off real well? She says, please don't. Please do not. We already have way more than enough people, which makes sense, because word spreads. But as I was talking to Tamara, the Southside Kids team overheard me. And they said, uh, can we talk to you about one thing you could mention? I'm like, sure. So what we did is, with some of the new restrictions with COVID, we realized that we have to add one more Christmas service. So December 23rd, 2, 4, and 6, December 24th, 2, 4, and 6, but also one more service added at 10 a.m. on the 24th. And they're like, we're, we're struggling to find volunteers to fill that. I'm like, oh, that's no problem. It's no problem. I'll just mention it. Because we have a, a church that understands that we want to be rich in good works, generous to those in need, and share with others. Like, can you imagine? What, what else could be cooler than spending a little bit of time this Christmas season just sharing a little love? With kids, mind you, some of them come from Christian homes, and this is just old hat for them. And some of them, this will be the only time in 2021 that they walk into a church. So if you're willing to help, rich in good works, generous with those in need and share with others, just text the keyword kids. I was going to spell it for a second there. I thought I was in Red Deer, you know what I mean? <laughs> kids. See, uh, uh, it, just text the keyword kids to 604-670-3040. Imagine that we woke up tomorrow and like all the leading doctors in the world got together, all the leading researchers, and they said we have some groundbreaking news, groundbreaking. As it turns out, vegetables are not good for you. How awesome would that be, right? Like vegetables, aren't, like broccoli and cauliflower and bro especially Brussels sprouts, steer clear, my friend, steer clear. Terrible for you, inside and out, worst thing you could ever do. However, in an unexpected twist of fate, what we did find as we were researching that Brussels sprouts are terrible for you, we found out that the best possible thing that you could ingest in your life right now, if you could do like two or three 7-Eleven candy cups a day, that is like just so good for your vitality and your system and everything. Man, that'd be a great day. That'd be a great day. And I started thinking to myself, I wonder, this is a little weird, but just bear with me for a second. I wonder if after a while of just slapping back candy cups every day, whether I might at some point go, you know what I really feel like? Even though it's bad for me, I just... I just, I just want a Brussels. Now, I really doubt if I would do that, by the way. But, 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 but let's say. Because you know what I think we do? I think we do that a little bit with God. God says, hey, I want you to live large. Be rich in good works. Yeah, that makes sense. I've experienced that. Be generous with those in need. Yeah. And share with others. And there's a part of us that goes, yeah, yeah, I know, but... I just, there's, I just want to lean towards settling, settling, settling for small. Paul goes on, he says this. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Guard what God has entrusted to you. Does my preaching always have that effect? 
Thank you. The one voice of joy. Thank you. Yeah, I noticed that, actually. I noticed about him during the singing. He just loves that. But evidently he doesn't love it so much because now he's crying. Yeah. Oh. What do they call a bear with no teeth? Timothy, guard what, guard what God has entrusted to you. Man, I love that. I love it so much. Because it seems kind of like nebulous, right? Like, live large. Be rich in good works. Generous with those in need. Share with others. I don't know exactly how to do that. Oh, it's easy. Just guard what God has entrusted to you. You want to live large? Start close. You're married? Treat your spouse this way. Be rich with good works. Generous when they're in need. And share. Are you a parent? Start close. Be rich in good works. Be generous and share. Like, may that represent, if you talk to the friends of Mike Mattis, the friends that God has entrusted to me in my life, I hope that that's what they say. You know one thing, I, one thing about Mike? He's generous. I don't even, I just, I don't mean money only. He's just generous with his time. He's generous with his, with his ability to listen. He's generous with his kindness. You want to live large? It's easy. Start close. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. We've been talking about individual largeness up to this point. I want to talk a little bit about the church, about us as a church. Um, I think there's a, a constant temptation within the church to settle for small instead of living large. To settle for small instead of living large. How do you settle for small as a church? Here's how. Um, well, it's, it's actually not tricky. It's you settle for small. You just stay right within these four walls. You gather in real close in a holy huddle, and you cater to the convinced. Just me and mine, and me and mine, and me and mine, and me and mine, and me and mine. Just us, just us, just us, just us. The elites, the holy huddle. There's a temptation constantly to gravitate to that because it's so difficult to live large, right? To make a decision, you know, that I've heard somebody say before, I'm gonna make Jesus' last words my first priority. The last words that Jesus ever spoke before he ascended to heaven. He said this, go out into all the world and preach the good news. Reach the lost. Get outside of your four walls, get outside of your holy huddle, get outside of your catering to the convinced, and get uncomfortable and reach the lost. See, the temptation is to settle for small. But we don't need to give in to that. We always choose to live large. You know, I really wish the sermons at Southside were deeper. What do you mean? Like the toothless bear thing wasn't deep enough for you? I really wish the sermons at Southside were deeper. You know what I wish? Speaking, we're talking about what people, you know what I wish? I wish you would love your wife. I wish you would do that. Be because here's what I know, that it's not information that changes anyone. It's information plus application that leads to transformation. 
And here's what I think. I think if you walk around almost every North American church, you will see that they have way more information than they are applying. See, I don't think the problem is information. I think the problem is application. You know what I love to do? I love to argue. Predestination versus Arminianism. Doesn't get much better. You know, the sovereignty of God versus man's free will. Okay, let me help you. It's both and. But in addition to that, while you say you love to argue, you know what I would love? You know what I would love for me? For me, for me. You know what I would love for me? I would love this Christmas season to step out of my comfort zone and walk up to my neighbor and say this. Hey, you want to come to church this Christmas with me? You want to come with our family? Because here's what I know about my neighbors. Here's what I know about your neighbors. Here's what I know about our friends. Here's what I know about the people who work out at our gyms. These last two years, it's been hard. They might not have told you as much, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. For a, for a, for, for a population that's been raised to think, this world is my source, this world is my sufficiency, this world is my more than enough, these last two years have been shattering. And what they need this Christmas more than anything else is they need to be brought to the place where we can show them, you know what? There's a God who loves you right here and right now. Not some future version of you, but you. And he is your source. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. Living large. I love the way Paul ends the letter. May God's grace be with you all. May God's grace be with you all. I was kind of racking my brain how to really express grace. Some people define grace as unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. I think, I think a grace as this moment that we get to our lives where we look around and we think that um, all around us, things are ashes. Or one part of our life is just in ashes. And grace is when God comes up and says, hey, I can take those ashes and I can make something beautiful. That's grace. But it's interesting because partway through this week, a young woman, a Southsider, reached out to me and her story is pretty incredible. And it defines grace better than I could, so why don't you listen? Hi, my name is Selmery, and I wanted to tell you about my journey to Southside. I would describe my childhood as a happy one and pretty carefree, especially with my family. At school, things were a little different. I had ADHD, and I always felt a little different. So some of my earliest childhood memories at school are ones of me struggling with friends and not actually really fitting in. Church attendance was part of my family's routine. We were part of a community of conservative Christians who had all fallen into the trap thinking it was okay to judge people who didn't go to church on Sundays or live like we lived. When I graduated high school, I left my home to go to school in Vancouver with faith more in the rear view mirror of my life. This was like entering a completely different world, a world where it was normal to drink and party enough to not remember a thing the next morning. After all those years of wood and me still ache to fit in and be accepted, so that became my life too. My friends and I would drink as much as we could, go to the club, and eventually end up going home with a guy. And generally, not always the same one. 
we were, well, people say, living the life. On February 5th, 2017, my world actually stopped. Um, that was the night that after a regular night of partying, I was drugged and sexually assaulted by two male students that I considered friends. I can't even begin to describe the trauma, pain, and lasting effects I was left with after that. It was the worst night of my life. A couple months later, in April, I was assaulted by two male students again. One of them was from the first case, and I actually don't remember a single thing from that night. For three years, I carried around fear, the shame, and the guilt of what was done to me without telling a single soul. I felt very alone and at the end of my own strength. In 2019, after university graduation, I was offered a job in Abbotsford that gave me an opportunity to move back home with my parents and my brother, a situation I considered to be short-term before COVID happened. Eventually, my brother found out about the horrible events of three years. So he did what any loving brother would do. He made me tell my mom. Telling her and talking about it with my family was excruciating, but exactly what was needed to happen. It led me to eventually gathering all my courage to report my attackers to the police. It also led me to getting a psychiatrist and where my psychiatrist pointed out my dependence on alcohol to numb myself and expressed concerns about my suicidal tendencies. Throughout all this, I didn't have any relationship with God to speak of, but looking back, I can see how he was still orchestrating things to work together for my good. He brought me out of the city back home to heal with my family. He led me to a number of new friendships and almost all of whom were people who knew God. He led me to Southside. I've been attending my parents' church for a while after being back home, but experienced the ever familiar feeling of not fitting in. I felt like everyone was in a competition for the most put together perfect Christian, and I knew I couldn't win. One day at work, a coworker of mine randomly told me I needed to go to church with her. So Southside, she told me that no one pretends to be perfect there and authentically is the expectation. And I was very skeptical. I remember going to my first Sunday service. Pastor Mike literally told the room that there was no levels of Christianity and no such thing as a Christian superstar. And I was actually blown away. I've never heard that from a pastor before. And after the service, I met a girl around my age named Lexi, who invited me to her small group almost immediately. She was so kind and inviting. I was so surprised and very grateful. When I finally walked in the next night, I was very nervous. I saw Lexi and met my leader, Brianna. They introduced me to the rest of the group and I slowly began to realize that it was filled with all kinds of women, with all kinds of backgrounds and stories. I wasn't expecting to want to participate in the discussions or answer any questions, but it was easy and fun. I remember texting Brianna that night and saying, this is the first young adults group I actually feel like I should be at. I've been praying for this for the last five years to find a place where I belong. Thank you so much for this group. So past Mike's story last week, when he hit the low point alone in Red Deer College, reminded me a lot of mine. I hit a point of no return that I couldn't imagine coming back from. I no longer recognized myself, and I had adopted such a reckless lifestyle. I tried over and over to numb the pain from what my life had become. I didn't know that with God I could live beyond the pain. I didn't know that forgiveness was actually for me too, and that because of Jesus, there's no such thing as the point of no return. Now, I have friends to sit with in church and a strong network of women who help me draw closer to God every single week. I feel like I re-met God and began to understand His love for me in a brand new way. 
He's healing me from trauma and helping me grow. Through this journey, I've left partying behind, and this church community has helped me never to want to go back to how things used to be. My life is completely different now. Every week, God helps me grow through the messages and my group, and I feel like I'm a completely different person. My friends and my coworkers ask about my faith, and I think they see it too. I cannot express to you how grateful I am to have found this welcoming community and how we always say there's no perfect people allowed here at Southside. I'm happy to belong. Salmary. Why don't you bow your heads just for a moment of reflection and close your eyes. Grace, it's simple and it's incredibly complicated, but basically it says this, that if you look back at your life and you see ugly, and you see ashes, and you say, and you see shame, God says, watch this, I can make something beautiful. Grace says that if you feel like you're here standing at this place called the point of no return, God says to you, no, no, no. Against all odds, the best is yet to come. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done or what's been done to you. The best is yet to come because of Jesus. So whether you're watching online or in person right now, in this moment of reflection with heads bowed and all, eyes closed, I just want to give you a chance to respond to the message of the gospel that says God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to rise again for you, so you can get past your past and start living the life, living large, today, tomorrow, and forever. So if today is the day that you want to respond to him, all the work has been done, all you have to do is receive it with heads bowed and eyes closed. You want to just raise your hand up nice and high right now for me so that I can pray for you. Amazing. If you're comfortable doing this online, if you're watching online, I would love if you could just respond outwardly also. That's great. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray out loud and invite you to pray quietly along with me. So dear God, thank you. Thank you that right now in this moment, I matter to you. That I am loved fully, completely, and unconditionally by you. That you know me and want to be known by me. And God, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross. Today, I give you my shame and my regret and my ashes and my ugly. And I thank you for a fresh start. And Jesus, thank you that you rose again. Give me the strength to rise to. Today, tomorrow, and forever. Knowing always that the best, because of you, the best is always yet to come. I pray this in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate, church. Three things. One, the most importantly, I love you so much. Online, I love you. In person, I love you. Just so good to be with you today. And on the way out, the ushers have uh, invitations to the Christmas services. So I invite you to take 10, take 15, take one, whatever it is, and ask God to show you the people that you need to be bringing to church this year. And finally, if you are willing and able to help out with Southside Kids, you can text that number. Other than that, I love you guys a lot. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. 
And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.